Speaking of real genius of Val Kilmer and the Val of today, on Libby, uh, that's the library app, I downloaded oh. the uh, audiobook of Val Kilmer's biography oh, a nice. while back, and it's read by Val Kilmer. I gave up halfway through. Really? Uh, yeah, and not because Val sounds fine, uh, but I, I frankly forgot that he was a Christian scientist. Yes. And, oh my God. And a big time one. And so his entire biography is him uh, not proselytizing, but giving lots of credit to the Church of Jesus Christ scientist. Mm. Yeah. Um, when he was uh, stricken with cancer, he literally was trying to go with the Christian science healing techniques. And it wasn't until his kids essentially forced him to go see a do- uh, an oncologist that they they got the cancer cleared out but now he still blames modern medicine for him uh essentially losing part of his throat and his his voice box and everything and i'm like th- th- like all the doctors and apparently his kids are also like well but if he'd have gone when we wanted him to they could have saved all of that so mm-hmm. this is like one of those wait too late kind of things i'm gonna completely wipe that from my memory and disassociate the artist from his work Absolutely, because I love him. I love the stuff that he's done, and I will always. But man, that biography tried to do its best to to tear that away from me. I, I will well, say that. I also didn't realize that he dated Cher for the longest time. Oh wow! Yeah, I bet yeah, you he could turn back time. Wow. But 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 to be honest, who hasn't Cher dated at this point? Oh, that's not a knock. It's just a fact. <laughs> what Andy? She didn't date you. No. Why? She doesn't date no. older men. Uh, <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 580. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Fact check, Andy. And we are talking Week and Geek. Hopefully, uh, Matt will join us sometime during this cast. Uh, that may or may not happen because apparently he got a new puppy. Yeah. He yeah. A Labrador retriever named Meg. You got any Labrador? Shut up, Meg. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently she's a handful, so yeah. You know, so um, we he, may or may not hear from him. He sh- he sent us a picture, and I'm like, puppy? <laughs> His dog's like half grown <laughs> at four weeks. That's crazy. I, like, it's massive. Like, he was holding her in his arms, and it uh, definitely like a handful. A handful? Literally. The presence of a puppy means that he may actually have a soul. We're going to have to reassess ourselves here. Uh, I'm still not convinced that he's not sacrificing it to some ancient Canadian god. Wow. I'm just surprised Andy has anything positive to say about having a pet. That's amazing. I I like other people's pets. I just don't want to take care of anything else. Uh, I had kids. The issue with this Labrador is that it's gray. Uh, because he hasn't taken the time to paint it, so ah, mm. uh, that's a mini on. joke. <laughs> wow. It sure is in every case of the word. <laughs> yeah, tiny little thing. <laughs> that that <laughs> is worthy of the uh, of the F. Andrew Taylor joke right. book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Surprised I didn't say it. 
<laughs> oh, Andy, please tell me you are working on a joke book. No, I'm not, but now I kind of want to. I think you should. <laughs> well, I now he's got to go back through through the entire Geek Shock archive and write down all the jokes he's forgotten that he told. <laughs> now, I'll just make up new bad jokes. <laughs> that stop in the middle and go off to a tangent and go somewhere else. So, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? Oh, I can I can handle Matt's. He didn't do anything. Okay, great. That one's out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate it. So, uh, so Andy, why don't you take the floor and tell us what you did? Well, inspired by Kay, you know, you know, breaking out things and doing different stuff so we'd have something to talk about. I, I thought about doing that and didn't do it. I, uh, I just, uh, <laughs> I really, I really did think I've got Kay's right. I got to do, I got to do something interesting to talk about. And things got just too busy here. Uh, I, I did battle with a stump in the backyard. That's about excitement. Who I won? did watch, uh, the stump is still winning. I, it, it's a huge stump, but I will defeat it. Uh, well, don't let that stump you, Andy. Don't. No, no. I, I Andy, wouldn't. put that in your book. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, you would say that. <laughs> I just said that one. <laughs> so uh, I did watch a couple movies. Um, I watched uh, Martin Scorsese's second movie. Anybody? The Last Waltz? No, I'm just waiting oh. for you to log that joke, Andy. Um, it's already written down. Yeah. <laughs> um, Boxcar Bertha. Boxcar Bertha. Yes. Oh, not not one you usually think of when no. when Scorsese's name is on a list. Doesn't yeah. come up on it very often, does it? Yeah. Tell me about Boxcar Bertha. It was uh, produced by Roger Corman. Oh my! Uh, who told him he could do anything he wanted with the story, as long as uh, there was a uh, there's an argument about how much, but there was a, a set amount of nudity that needed to be in there, either every 15 <laughs> minutes or two or three times. But so we got to see uh, a lot of naked Barbara Hershey. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> Kay's excited. Um, it's uh, a woman who suffers a little bit of tragedy and then ends up becoming a uh, hopping the rails and becoming a bank robber. Uh, sorry, a train robber. Um, Big difference. Railroad. Well, she draw, she robs from the payroll bank of the, of the uh, train too, but uh, along with a couple of her lovers and uh, one of whom is David Carradine. Okay, she robbed her lovers, or no, no, rob- her, her, okay. her and her 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 lovers are uh, robbing the trains, and another guy. Wow, uh... Uh, but no, uh, David Carradine's in it, who was married to her, seeing her at the time, and the villain, the uh, owner of the railroad, is uh, played by John Carradine, which was interesting. Was he new hmm. too? What's that? No, Was he's he not new, new too? Thank God. Oh, okay. Thank God. No, no. Well, although David Carradine's new in it a lot. Is that right? Keith Carradine. David Carradine? Kung Fu. David think, Carradine. Oh, oh, Richard Carradine. Richard Carradine. That dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I saw that, and then I watched uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, which I guess oh. I didn't remember very well. Uh, I'd kind of like to see that on the stage, but uh, the impetus was that was me remembering that the Story is very loosely based on an incident not far from my house. So I've gone to see the house now. I've gone to see uh-huh. the, the setting of Arsenic and Old Lace, which is a little building about 12 miles from here. Uh, the play is about a guy whose aunts turn out to be happily murdering people, happily murdering old men because they want them to be in a better place. They're very uh, 
upfront about it once he finds out they're very they're very cheerful about them them they're poisoning these guys the whole family's a little wacky the the uncle uh, uncle teddy thinks he's teddy roosevelt so every time he goes up the stairs he runs charge because he thinks it's san juan hill and in the middle of it a character comes in who looks like boris karloff they keep talking about him looking like boris karloff because in the actual play it was played by boris karloff <laughs> so uh, they they made him up to look a little like Boris Karloff. But, uh, it's it's really it's very very funny, especially because of the time it was filmed in forty one, but not released till forty four. But yeah, I, I kind of expected it to be very dated and the jokes to be, eh, but it's pretty damn funny. I was in a production of Arsenic and Old Lace in my early days in the theater. <laughs> was it the horribly white version? Because that would work. <laughs> It was very white, absolutely. Uh, it was as a favor to the director because he needed someone to play the dead body. Oh <laughs> shit! Second act. So that's hilarious. So yeah, that's that's my my Arsenal story. I got to be a dead body, and I m- remember my head being banged into a door frame at one oh. point, being carried out. That was that was a wonderful memory, and I'm sure I lost some memories doing it. You Kevin Costnered it completely. Yeah. Yes. I am the Costner of the small Indiana stage. Wow. Now, there's supposed to be a uh, a movie version that actually has Boris Kolarf in it. Uh, it's a TV movie version. TV oh, movie. Is it? Yeah. How is that? That's, that's what I was just going to ask you, Andy. Which version did you see? Because there's uh, three. Oh, I saw the 44 version, the first one they filmed. The one with Cary Grant. Cary Cooper. Cary Grant. Cary Cooper. Cary. Okay. <laughs> God. It was the one with Richard Carradine the in it. Brain is falling oh, apart. Oh, God. oh, I can't think anymore. Yeah, no, I, the... I got so many things wrong last the last episode. I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll try and be better. Although I've screwed up already twice. <laughs> that's that's why I wanted to ask because there's the the 42 movie version, and then there's the 62 TV movie version, and then there's another 1969 TV movie version uh, with Bob Crane in it, and. Uh, I, I, I remember uh, the first two. I didn't know that there was the version with Bob Crane in it. <laughs> is Bob Crane playing the uh, Cary Grant role? Uh, Mortimer Brewster. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, Mortimer? Yeah, Mortimer. That's what it says. Bob yeah, Crane right. played Mortimer Brewster. Who plays it in the uh, second version, 62? Uh, I think that was the Kor- Karloff one, if it's I remember Karloff. correctly. And then Raymond Massey is the original, the first uh, movie. What? When was the r- first movie? 42. Oh, I'm so confused because I thought that the one I saw was the first one. Because they actually, I I, I I apologize, Andy. Uh, Tony Randall played Mortimer Brewster, which is the Bob Crane role. Karloff played Jonathan Brewster. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I I I switched the two. That's my fault. Tony Randall would be good in that part. Um, I, Tony I Randall. The, yeah, I was looking at the Wikipedia entry, and apparently they had a couple people in mind for the role, and Cary Grant really didn't really want to do it. Uh, but it was uh, Bob Hope was in the line for it, and Jack Benny was in the line for it, and they would have been good. Anyways, huh? I picked this up at the library because I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. So now I've I've gone to the Enfield Library a few times looking for movies because there's some things I can't find on streaming. Mm. Dude, the, the library is a treasure. Which is where Boxcar Bertha came from. We just like the cover. <laughs> and, then, and also, uh, <laughs> a lot of those library apps, they have streaming... TV shows and movies that you can't find anywhere else as well. Hmm. Get those apps. If you have a library subscription or a library membership, 
you can stream a lot of that stuff for free. Well, okay, so next up, uh, what geeky thing did you do? Maple Leaf Matt! Welcome, Matt! <laughs> Good to be here. And... Good to have you, brother. You sound Perfect. golden. Golden. Perfect. Golden. Stay golden, <laughs> pony boy. I like how you used that. I could segue into what I did. It's not really geeky, but I did purchase a puppy yesterday. Yay! Golden tell, Lab. Tell us all about the puppy. He's a little bitch. Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> literally. Yeah, pretty much. It's just she she duped us because uh, we picked her out of the cage. So it's one of those pet stores that it it wasn't like a pet smart where they're in the wall like like a gerbil cage or whatever, like in the wall. And you pick okay. them out. I feel so bad about those ones. This one was designed where they have all the cages in the middle, and each of the top is open, so you can lean in and pick them out. Aha! So she, we picked her out, and she was like all docile and beautiful looking, and didn't bark, nothing. It was a dupe because we took took her home, and <laughs> Mister Hyde came out. <laughs> so yeah, playing the long con. Yeah, she just wanted to be purchased. That's what that was. You're gonna be saying "shut up, Meg" a lot, aren't Pretty you? Pretty much. Yeah, her her name's Meg. It's just, have you guys? Oh, I don't know if you've looked at puppy prices recently and during the pandemic. Just curious. Yeah. Holy they're... crap, they've gone yeah. up because everybody wants a fucking pandemic dog or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pandemic yeah. dog is my David Boy cover band. Fair All enough. Right. So I did that. And uh, that's about that's it. a heck of a thing. So she's she's yeah. now running around, pooping everywhere, barking. Yes. <laughs> so the brand new house is getting detailed quite nicely by this uh-huh. little shit. Yeah. But you, see, I do it at your place, and you kick me out. She does it at your place, and you keep her in lover. It makes no sense. Yeah. Well, you got to oh, do you, it when you're not looking. Place, Todd. Lucky you. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not part of his pandemic uh, circle, so I'm not. I marked their it. apartments. I marked their apartments so many times, but they, yeah, they just got to do it when they're not looking, and they blame it on the cat. You blame it on Stumpy? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm fully vaccinated, thing. Matt, so I'll have to stop by sometime soon. So you got her yesterday. Yeah. So that left you a whole week of geeky things to do. What else you do? <laughs> Um, well, I canceled my WoW subscription, so there's that. Whoa, whoa, what? okay. Yeah. That's halt huge. The presses. This is huge. massive. Listen, huge. how long, how long have you had that subscription? To be fair, there was an eight-year period there where I didn't play at all, so it was canceled there from Cataclysm. So, Vanilla came out, what, 04, I think? Okay. And then Cataclysm came out 2010, beginning of 11 or end of 10. I think it was 10. But anyway, okay. so I canceled after that expansion, and then I started up in BFA Battle for Azeroth, which was 2018. Okay. So there's an eight-year period where I didn't play or have a subscription. So you've only again. re-upped for two, two years so far. Well, three years. Yeah, pretty much. Two and a half. So, so why oh. are you giving up on it now? What, what, you, you did it the first time because Cataclysm was ridiculous. That that yeah. was the last time I played it, and I'm like, this is stupid. I'm done. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but now, just... now the new Az- the Azroth thing came. That two, three years on, now you're saying no. Why? Well, there was a new expansion called Shadow Shadowlands. That was a okay. new one, where they taken the Azroth players to the other side. I guess you could say. So the world of death. That's where they went with it. Ah. 
So you're seeing all the old uh, people that died in previous WoW expansions, like uh, World of Warcraft 3, those people. Okay. So you're seeing them running around, which is kind of neat. That was launched three months ago, I think. So I only lasted about three months. But I did move, right? And then after I moved, I wasn't really playing. So I was like, I don't have no desire to go back. I'm just doing the stuff around the house, unpacking, all of that. And just it dawned on me, like, I don't really want to play this anymore. Wow. So so oh. you you finally quit the streaming service. Wow. That one, wow. yes. The, the, the original <laughs> streaming service, yeah. That one. Well, that uh, that gets me off the hook for killing my uh, Pokemon Go. Jeez. You, yeah. This is, I mean, Matt and WoW has been kind of synonymous for the last couple of years. Right. If if he did nothing else geeky in a week, he would play some WoW. But mm-hmm. now that he's moved and there's so much work to do, he's like, I don't have time for it. So he's just canceled it. And so even, can, then, even if I do get home and not do anything around the house, I still don't have no desire to play. So it's like, uh, what am I doing this? I'm not paying for this anymore. So sure, you get expect- the desire, you can do it again, right? No, I don't think. I think I'm done. I'm done with really? that game. Yeah. Wow. So you can we can expect from you every week that you've done nothing, really nothing. You want to say <laughs> no, I'm gonna, wow? I'm going to make an admission to actually do some stuff. Okay, just so I satiate the fans. Okay, Kay, you're inspired. <laughs> K, you're inspiring. Everybody was inspired by you last week of you. So did were, did you do anything else then this week besides puppy and kill wow? Uh, let's see. Watch the old guard on Netflix. That was pretty good. Got around oh, to watching cool. the old guard. Yeah, they. Everyone's seen that. Not too soon. Yeah. Yeah, we saw. <laughs> yeah. I, I have. I still haven't, but I know most um, everyone else has. Leaving it open for a sequel. I like that. But that was pretty good. That was a good good concept. And that's about it. I'll watch a bunch of hockey, but you guys don't care. Sports, sport, ice sports, ice ball, ice ball, ice ball. <laughs> so, yeah, that's about it. You are correct, sir. But that is the most that you have done in a month. Or more. Well, a year, at least. <laughs> I do stuff. It's just I don't report on it. I, sh- I need to start like, writing stuff down because I forget. I take notes. Uh, if you don't, you will forget everything you've, you've done in a week. Yeah. I actually did a few things, but the one I want to talk about was uh, um, this new documentary on Hulu called Kid 90 that was produced and directed by Soleil Moon Fry, who played Punky Brewster back in the 80s. And the documentary is essentially after Punky Brewster was canceled. Uh, I think she was 12 when that was canceled. And when she was moving into her teen years, she started carrying around a video camera with herself, like literally videotaped everything she did. So this is way before social media. And it's, uh, it hasn't looked at these vid- hadn't looked at these videos in over 20 years. Uh, so she, it's her going back through all these videos and, and her diaries and all of the uh, the kid actors that were teens in the early to mid '90s that basically was all a little community of themselves where they all kind of knew each other. So you're talking like actors like uh, Jonathan Jonathan Brandis who was on Sequest, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Stephen Dorff, Corey Feldman. Uh, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, Mark Paul Goslar from Saved by the Bell, just like the, they all knew each other. So that's all this really fascinating look at uh, a lot of their lives post the shows that they were in. And, and you know, they're growing up, in, in her case, with Selena Moon Fry's case, having difficulty continuing her career as an actor through her teens and then also her strife with her 
rapid development in her early teens and then having to get like breast reduction and then not really being able to transition into an adult actor until much later in life. But it's a really fascinating look at what all of these kids and then now adults, because it features interviews with a lot of them as adults going back and looking at this video footage that that she shot and going, oh, my God, I can't believe you have this. And, you know, I, mm. I remember this and I remember that. But it's a really fascinating archival look at at that group of Hollywood teens and and what they went through and the strife of trying to grow up and be an actor and then not, you know, in some cases succeeding, some cases failing and the sad uh, sadness of people with mental issues that were un, uh, we were, were not addressed and, you know, committed suicide. You know, there's tributes to them on this. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really fascinating look at that period of time. I see by the ads that she's got her punky Brewster back on now too. They're making new episodes. Yeah, that's that's kind of what prompted this to be released when it was was that uh, she has the punky Brewster revival on uh, on Peacock. But apparently, this was something she had been working on for a little while, and uh, they made they did the release pretty much simultaneous with the launch of that revival series. But yeah, it's. It's really interesting. Um, and, of course, like I said, I, I love documentaries. And this is a fascinating look at that specific period in time. And all of these uh, these actors and actresses who, you know, some succeeded, some didn't. And all the things that happened in the early to mid-90s. It's called Kid 90. It's on Hulu. Yes. Kid 90. It is on Hulu. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm looking Sounds- at... Uh an ad for that and the first thing is her hugging um what's his name from Safe by the bell uh mark paul yeah. mark paul gosler yeah yeah that sounds really fascinating my eyes were glued to the tv the whole time it's only about an hour and a half long but it's really a packed hour and a half like i feel like they probably could have stretched this out to two hours but an hour and a half with a documentary seems to be the norm nowadays because you don't want to bore people for whatever reason at least that's what a lot of these producers um try to do with that but she's also a producer on this is in addition to being a director and and did a lot of the interview the the current interviews with the the various actors like uh balthazar getty um uh steven dorf um uh mark paul mark paul brian austin green those are just some of the 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 people that she did uh, current interviews with, or, or in you know, well, last year apparently, she did that. So, anything else you want to bring up, Jeff? That's the one main thing I wanted to talk about. Well, this week, Kirsten, I you inspired me. Last I week, guess. I I watched all of Alice in Borderland yesterday. Holy oh, wow. shit balls! I didn't even get back to it yet. Holy mackerel! Uh, that had me gripped from beginning to end. Um, you're right, that, especially the way it starts, completely up my alley. So thank you for the recommendation. And I also pass that along to anyone that is interested in the whole Death Game style of show. It's really, really good. There, there comes a point in the show where I didn't think it was as interesting. For those that have uh, seen it, I'll say The Beach, and that'll pretty much tell you everything you need to know. And not really give anything away. But even that part is as though it, the second half wasn't as interesting to me as the first half. It was still very interesting. 
it just that it's it's manga roots become more and more apparent uh, when that part begins that you get mm-hmm. some manga tropes that you you see every now and then if you watch the occasional anime or read the occasional manga uh, where where you have the crazy guy with the weird weapon and then things like that where the the villains start to become cartoonish yeah how many episodes is it is it it's uh... not long it's eight episodes oh geez that's that's doable yeah so i I was able to do it uh half in the early part of the day and the other half in the rest of the evening and i enjoyed it so much that i decided to go ahead and try something else out because you know after you finish the scene you might also like these things and so i was like okay what these things do you have to offer me netflix and there was one that had a really spooky mask on it. It was called Kakaguri, which turns out to mean compulsive gambler. Uh, if you're not familiar with Kakaguri, and unless you're into this stuff, you probably aren't, it is a really over-the-top satire on class society. It's set in a affluent school but where the hierarchy is decided through gambling. Hmm. Like the, the student president and the student, uh, uh, the heads of the student body are all these offspring of extremely wealthy people, but they got to be in student, bo- ahead of student body by gambling their way to the top on actual just gambling games, you know, poker, roulette. And whoever wins the most money gets the most prestige, and whoever loses uh, basically goes into a lower caste system where they're they're, cons- they're not even considered human. They call them doggy uh, puppies and kitties. Mm. Where does uh, a mask it, come in? It, it, it turns out that uh, the uh, vice president of this student government uh, wears this mask. Okay, but, but it is super over the top. Yeah. I watched the first episode, then I watched the anime that it's based on, and I went back to the live-action version because I liked the way it was telling the story better than in the anime. Hmm. But what's really fun, if, if you enjoyed the escape room aspects of Alice in Borderlands, the gambling aspects of this one are kind of the same because the whole satire of uh, the capitalist uh, class society that it's telling is that those who are at the top cheated their way to get to the top. Mm. And so they, all the games that they are kind of the winners of are in charge of, they cheat to maintain their position. The whole thing is thro- uh, thrown into a loop when a new student comes in who is a insane compulsive gambler. Hence the name of the show. And she loves gambling so much that when she plays against these cheaters, she recognizes how they are cheating and refixes the game so it becomes an actual gamble. So she'll identify how they're cheating. She doesn't use that to her advantage to win. She instead uses that knowledge to once again even out the game so it's actually gambling because it's the gambling she loves. So she might lose, but she just wants to even out the game, and in doing so, disrupts this entire upper society. How much of that have you watched? I'm not sure how many there are, but I'm about five episodes through. And it's way over the top. The acting is over the top. In fact, uh, one thing I love about it is 
it will go into these moments of internal monologue with the villains, uh, the cheaters, and go into their mindset, and they deliver it like a scenery-chewing Shakespearean actor. Hmm. To where it's just, just really compelling, and it's like it belongs on the stage instead of the screen, just those moments of it. The rest of it is very anime-influenced, and so the, the shots and the, the yelling and stuff, it's, it's all over the top in that regard. But when they go into these, these soliloquies, they become these little Shakespearean moments, and I really, really enjoy that about the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, not quite sure where the show is going. I know they made two seasons of it thus far. Uh, I know they did an offshoot on the manga telling uh, uh, the pre-story of one of the characters. It, it works as just a gambling show. Like if you watch the movie Rounders and you enjoy the uh, the scenes of the poker and the tension and the drama of those moments, it really does a good job with the games. And the games that they do for this show are really, really good. I, in fact, I don't know how many of these they made up for the show. Or, or how much, how many of them are out there already as variations of games that we know? They start off with a really interesting version of rock paper scissors, where everybody in the room who's observing votes. Uh, they get to choose one card to draw a rock paper or scissor uh, emblem to it, and then those are randomized, and three three of those cards are shuffled to each of the two players, and so you aren't throwing rock, paper, and scissor off your mind of what you think your opponent's going to throw, you're basing it off what cards you have. So you might have three of the same, you might have two of one and one of the other. It's, so you're limited of what you can actually play. So there's some neat games thrown out here too. And so that's why if you like Alice in Borderlands, that style of breaking down the puzzle and re-establishes the game as a fair one, even though the cheating is still in place, is really fascinating. Don't get me wrong. If you're not into the anime style or certain ways of anime style put you off, this uh, Kakaguri uh, is much more anime style than Alice in Borderland. Alice in Borderland is a, tells a much bigger story. This one is comedy satire that's over the top. Hmm. Hmm. So that's what I did. So thank you, Kay, for introducing that to me. Golly gee, I'm really, well, you know, like I said, when, uh, when that first game started, I'm like, oh shit, Todd will love this. It, did you see what I meant also about like the first 10 minutes of it? Yeah. It was just like, I could watch this, I could just watch this TV show. That, yeah, you know, they established those characters really fast. Yeah. And, and they're compelling from the beginning. Yeah, they're very, yeah, so... So, so I'm glad I actually got you to watch something within a week of hearing about it. That was, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm it ready usually to, takes a couple of years. Yeah, I'm ready to log <laughs> off right now. I'm just, see you folks, Commander K signing off. <laughs> Unless it's printed. It's going to be in print form. He'll read that right away. Yeah, really. But, but Kay, I highly recommend finishing Alice in Borderland because it is full of holy shit moments. All right. I, I just haven't gotten uh, I just hadn't gotten back to it. I actually it's terrible. You and Andy talking about it being inspired and shit. And I actually didn't do anything this week. So it's like from the very heights I have fallen. It's terrible. Or you're saying next week I could say nothing. <laughs> yes, you've you've earned it. 
Yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> Matt, you've it's laid ha- out enough for a year. You pro- at this point yeah. compared to what you usually do. So I was just yeah, saying, Matt, it's weird. Uh, you know, Matt and Kay like you know role swap this week. Yeah. Well, Matt, also with that dog, we're we're prepared for about six to twelve months of. I can't do anything. I got a dog. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is some truth to that. <laughs> Uh, I also played some more Cyberpunk 2077 this week. Uh, that is a game that uh, I, I just can't shake. I, I can't get rid of it. Uh, by, by that, I mean, usually I hit something with Gamefly where, like, even if it's an open-world game, I'm like, okay, I, I've had enough of this game. I'm going to send it back just so I can play the next thing. Uh, but usually I'll play the game, like, once more and just to say, yeah, okay, I'm done with it. But every time I go back and have that thought pattern that I'm going to go back and play this just once more, I'm like, no, I'm not done with this. This, this is too good. This, this game is just too fascinating and too interesting at this point to just let go now. So, so I'll, I'll sit down and put another bunch of hours into it. And it's so, still really good. So you don't have any of those game-breaking glitches then? Of course I do. I don't have them as much as I did, though. They've done a few updates, and it's been a lot more stable. But I, I still, it probably uh, crashes out at least once a week. Where before it was crashing out about every other time I played it. So at least it's a much more stable game than it was. Right there is what I put my fist through whatever screen I'm playing it on. <laughs> I couldn't play that game because of that. And thankfully... It has a very generous autosave, where it <laughs> saves a lot. So even when it does crash out, it pretty much takes me back maybe a minute or two prior to the point I was at. So you're not going back and playing like a whole mini quest or anything. Uh, yeah, I, I hate those. Uh, my favorite was, uh, I'm trying to remember what game it was. I was in a boss battle, and I was like, a sliver away from beating him after trying this for like 30 or 40 minutes oh. and the fucking game console crashed. And when it reloaded the game back up, it was way, way before I met that boss and had the boss battle. I was, I, I don't think I ever went back to that game now because I was so frustrated. You know what? Bless the autosave. Uh, yeah. That, that's one of the greatest concepts in semi-modern gaming. Uh, compared to the be. PC games of old where you had to physically save every time that you wanted to save something, which was fine if you remembered to do so. Yeah, when you forgot, should, it was like, it's like, oh, it was the worst feeling ever. There should certainly be an autosave before a boss fight. That's just bad programming. Yeah, you're right. So I'm keeping Cyberpunk 2077 for a while longer. I'll, I'll probably at least play through the main story, which... I still seem to have a lot to go. And this game has given me something I've never really had till now, and that is, frankly, an appreciation for the cyberpunk genre. It's something that never spoke to me. But now being immersed in it, in this game for this this long, uh, I'm kind of enjoying it. And I've started reading our Geek Shock Book Club book, Snow Crash, by Neil Stevenson, which is a classic of the cyberpunk genre. Um, I never realized that pizza delivery could be so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> hero protagonist. Oh, is that the one that has hero protagonist? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yes, was Peter David? No. 
who, who, uh, who wrote it? Stevenson. Uh, yeah. yeah, Neil Stevenson, the, the guy who writes very thick and very uh, uh, thick in both senses of the word, thick with prose and thick books. Nice. He's, he's known for writing doorstoppers. Mm. But good ones and full of stuff and thoughts and ideas. And so it's a, it's, it's a heavy one, but he's an entertaining writer, at least in this book. I haven't read any of his other stuff. Cool. Anything else, gentlemen, before we continue on? I got one little one. I, I watched an episode of The Librarians that takes place in a fictional college. That's At some point, they say it's what Lovecraft bases stuff off of. But the team mascot who gets disappears in the first minutes of the show is uh, an otter. This, oh. This creepy, uh, creepy, weird college has an otter as a mascot. You have my attention. Yeah. It also has a funny bit where there's a character who uh, this really sticks out for the, for our game, K, for our for our Monster of the Week game. There's a character who just keeps commenting, you know, on statistics like, you know, oh, the professor disappeared. Like in all colleges, you know, uh, you know, five to ten percent of the professors uh, disappear mysteriously uh, every semester. It's like <laughs> like parroting off these these weird statistics that she clearly thinks are the truth, but they aren't. I thought you said the lobster disappeared. I, that's professor. <laughs> professor. Okay. Although I did get up to the uh, the tick episode where he fights a lobster, so that's good too. Uh, oh, okay. You see synergy, synergy. That's yeah. what that was. Lobster synergy, which is my B fifty two's cover band. See, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> and speaking of my joy for the word synergy, news you don't give a shit about. <laughs> Full bottle. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and before we get into news you don't give a shit about, there is something we give a shit about. I want to throw out a very happy birthday to Jake's mom. Happy birthday, Jake's mom. Thanks for making us a Jake. Hey. Our, our, our Yay, birthday, Jake. Woo. Jake's mom. <laughs> And let's go into our one and only news you don't give a shit about. Uh, Marvel's Avengers Endgame had a great run at the top of the all-time highest grossing film at the box office of all time. But that run has come to an end. James Cameron's Avatar was rec- has recently been re-released in China. And because of that, the film was able to reclaim the number one spot at the box office. I saw that. As of right now, the estimated total for Avatar globally is two billion seven hundred and ninety-eight million five hundred thousand, uh, while Avengers Endgame still sits at two billion seven hundred ninety-seven million five hundred thousand. So it's a difference of one million dollars. Avatar is like some magic trick. We all were so excited about it when it came out, and I don't know anybody who cares about the sequels or, or ever watching the movie again. Well, it's just been too long between the sequels. I just don't know what new material is going to be in these sequels that's going to make me want to care about it again. If he'd have been able to do a sequel within, say, three years of the original release, I'd have been fine with it. But it's been over ten years. I've had many opportunities to watch Avatar again, and I just like, nope, no, no interest. I've seen it. <laughs> I'm good. I think it's. I think it's a couple of things that really it had going for that film. And that is one, the technology that Cameron brought to the screen. It was right. the movie that brought back 3d. And that, that's that 3d thing seems to have run its course again. 
it was kind of a beautiful world building thing. The, the, I mean, let's face it, the story was Fern Gully, but it's the world that he built that it was just a beautiful, fun world. And to see that world in that 3D, it was a new, fun, immersive experience for a lot of people. One that people revisited more than once. Fortunately, when you bring it back to the non-IMAX screens of our homes and take away all that pomp and circumstance, you're just left with, mind you, a beautiful visual and an okay story. Uh, So I think that's why it just didn't... The beauty and luster didn't last over time because we've had plenty of 3D since. Uh, Frankly, none is good 3D-wise, but... Well, nobody's doing any. Nobody's doing any work with 3D right now. This should be 3D's time. Yeah. Right. Why are you going to go to a theater when you could stream it? Well, 3D, and nobody's doing anything with it. It's all that all that post production bullshit, as opposed to people actually filming for 3d and nobody just they they just refuse to uh, exploit it i mean i think part of it is studios probably telling them don't go super crazy with you know don't make the movie unwatchable without 3d because we need to have a whole bunch of 2d sales i have a feeling that's part of it but 3d right now should be saving movie theaters because it would be the reason to go and not to mention, like, uh, Cameron came up with an entirely new camera design yeah. and technology to shoot that film. And that was essentially the only film that got shot with it. And it wasn't because he was preventing other people from using it. It's just the studios were all like, okay, we're going to shoot into 2D and then convert to 3D. Yeah. So, like, they were just back to using regular digital cinema cameras after that. So it's like he spent all that time and effort to develop that technology that went nowhere essentially and and and, and that was the fucking time yeah and i assume Uh. that he's making these sequels with that technology i i don't know for sure oh knowing cameron yes he's using it he's probably pushing it even further so it's very possible he could recreate that magic again just by reminding people how amazing it is because i remember being blown away going to imax and watching Fern Gully, I mean, uh, <laughs> Avatar. It was and, gorgeous. Uh, yeah, Whatever you yeah. want to say about the story, it was visually amazing. Yeah, but once you got into the refractory period, you realized that that weird thing where they were sticking the same thing in to run the ride the beast that they were having sex with. It was like that one orifice on the back of their head, that weird-ass thing they connected to the animals to ride them and then were also using for sex. It was, it was a neural connection. I mean, they still had, yeah. From, from the novels, they still had physical sex, but that was just linking their brains together. Well, you know, it's a neural, a neural connection with an animal is just something that Andy is going to hate. So any yeah. kind of connection with an animal. So, yeah. Yeah. He, he <laughs> craves connections with other humans, but then he, uh, he cowers at, at having you, you a, a connection an with an animal. Animal. Throw an you animal. Guys are, you guys are pro animal fucking. <laughs> They're Every not day, fucking man. the Isn't animals, the Andy. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 and that's the only context Andy can look at it in, though. It, <laughs> if he he looks when he looks at at Matt's lab, he's like, I don't see how anybody could fuck this. 
What's oh, the I point? <laughs> <laughs> but Avatar, on the other hand, those flying beasts, he was all he was all about that. Not to mention the little jellyfish worms, all of it. He he just mm. it was a penistopia. <laughs> <laughs> penistopia is my Devo cover band. Don't ask why. I won't. <laughs> we can geek. Yay! Wild Cards, the upcoming TV series based on a fictional literary universe created by George R.R. R. Martin, has officially moved over to Peacock from Hulu. A piece hmm. of speculative history, the show will explore how human civilization was drastically altered when a pathogen known as the Wild Card virus was released over Manhattan in 1946. Quote, the virus rewrites DNA, mutating its survivors, reads the logline. A lucky few are granted awe-inspiring superpowers, individuals known as aces, while the sad majority are left with an often repulsive physical deformity, uh, which the group becomes known as Jokers. The universe first kicked off in the late 1980s and has since been filled out via anthologies written by multiple contributors. The short story approach opens the door for several different character and story threads, which means myriads of different directions for the TV series that could take place all within Martin's Wild Cards universe. First announced in the summer of 2016, the Wild Cards TV show is being executive produced by Martin, uh, writer Melinda Snodgrass, who wrote some parts of Wild Cards as well as some of Star Trek Next Generation, and Vince Gerardis, who was a writer on Game of Thrones. Uh, this was a book that we read way back uh, for the book club, and I absolutely loved this book. It's one of those really neat anthology ideas where it's a bunch of different authors contributing to a world building and a bunch of authors jumping off from there. So they, they, it's just a book of short stories set in this universe. Every author is kind of free to tell their own story with whatever character they want, and then they would continue on from there you'd see some characters return but new characters would be introduced in the next volumes and it just builds this this fantastic superpower world that started in 1946 but the stories take place uh, up to decades later it's a really neat jumping off point and this could be the first thing on peacock as far as an original series goes that makes me go yeah i'd, I'd oh. get peacock for that don't do it. Don't don't do it. God damn it. God damn it. Stop trying to make it happen with all the Whoa, our content could do that. Take it off Netflix. Oh, we could do Peacock or Gamecock or fucking Large Cock or Big Black Cock for the BET. I don't know. Fuck. Stop fucking doing it. I'm glad Robot and Jill kind of chimed in on that. <laughs> Any other Next thoughts on Wildcards? This Andrew was Andrew Taylor bringing the funny streaming channel. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell anybody. I don't have the IP yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's still writing the book it's going to be based on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, poor Andy. It's all PR, no content. <laughs> all PR, uh, no content is my uh, Public Image Limited cover band. Nice. Oh, see, now he does it. Now it flows, but we asked for one and he can't get he can't deliver. That nope. was the point. <laughs> He's not your monkey, Jeff. He's no, not made to dance to your music. I'm kind of his Well, frankly, he's not made to dance, period, but, but that's beyond. Uh, 
It's true. You've, you've seen the video. Oh well. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm excited for wild cards wherever it ends up, and it's something we greenlit way back when during Red Light Green Light. That's been year. That one was years ago. Does sound good. I do I do agree, but I will not partake in a Peacock streaming service. Isn't it free with commercials? No. Yep. Yes, it is. Oh, that's how they get you. <laughs> <laughs> It's also free if you already have like a cable subscription. So, what are you eighty? Who has cable? <laughs> yes, he is eighties. He's eighties, oh, Jeff. Bringing the funny K. I'm just put, pointing things out. That's put, that's put it, it in the boy. Uh, speaking of Peacock, Peacock also announced that it has placed a full series order for Langdon, a brand new TV series inspired by author Dan Brown's globe-trotting Harvard symbologist. Uh, written and executive produced by Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty, the project will be based on 2009's The Lost Symbol, one of the two Langdon-centric novels not adapted for the big screen by director Ron Howard. Set hmm. in Washington, D.C., the show finds Langdon, played in this iteration by designated survivor and succession star Ashley Zuckerman, racing against the clock to solve a collection of deadly puzzles in order to save his mentor and thwart a chilling global conspiracy. While The Lost Symbol is the third book in Brown's best-selling collection of books about the character, the small screen adaptation will be framed as one of Langdon's earlier adventures. Uh, I believe we did greenlight this one as well, not too far back. Uh, but they So it's also falling into Peacock's shoulders, so they're they're... That's some pretty hefty announcements for some yeah. original IP for Peacock now. Probably mentioned uh, the Da Vinci Code. He didn't say that anywhere, and it took me a minute to remember who the hell Langdon was. You're right. I probably should have put that in there somewhere. That's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, it is the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown stuff. Yeah. And, and, and that also kind of fits into that whole uh, Alice in Borderland puzzles to, to save a, a life in the world or whatever. Mm-hmm. The religious conspiracy stuff is, is is kind of fun in in that, but uh, it's it's the solving the puzzles in in ancient sites that really yeah. I thought was fun about those books. I, I liked all three of the movies. Ron Howard and Tom Hanks teaming up. How can you go wrong, right? That's mm-hmm. uh, we'll we'll see with this new one. But I, I think if anything can make a decent TV show, this would really could. I didn't. Yeah. It has a lot of room for growth. I didn't right? realize they made the third one. What's the third one? Uh, let's see, it was Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and um, yeah, I'm drawing a blank now myself. <laughs> a memorable yeah. movie. Well, and it's funny, because I just saw that it was on TV the other day. I didn't watch it, because I'd already seen it, but uh, it's funny that I just literally saw <laughs> that title. You know what's really interesting about those movies is... I remember Girl. the books really well, but I don't remember the movies well at all. I've, I saw the first two. Uh, never saw the third one. Inferno is what you're looking for. Yes, Inferno. Yeah. Thank you. I was sitting there. I'm like, it's it's like a fire. It's like flame. Uh, shit, I can't remember because I remember the, the the virus is like the Inferno Inferno virus. So. I I assume there's a Dante thing into that. It's, it loosely. I mean, it, it's more. It's you'd have to watch the movie or read the book, but it's 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 not getting played a lot right now because it 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 involves a potential global pandemic. So <laughs> there is that. This inferno virus that is the guy that created it wants to release on the world to decimate the population. Basically, doing a, a a Thanos snap kind of thing with a virus. All right, it was all right. Yeah, I, it wasn't it, my. The first two were my favorite. The third one was okay. 
it, it sounds like the third one kind of downplays the whole puzzle aspects of the other two. I, I, I would agree with that. It definitely felt like they weren't doing as much in the, the puzzle solving, especially not in the creative way that you saw him do it in the very first uh, film in the Da Vinci Code. Well, this week we lost a few people, so let's uh, do them some honor. Uh, first off, we lost Cliff Simon, uh, the actor best known for his recurring role as the villainous. Is that Bale or Baal? In- Baal. Baal, okay. Villainous Baal in the sci-fi series Stargate SG-1. He has died at the age of 58. Uh, a native of South Africa, Simon's first passion was sports. He was an Olympic-level swimmer, training for international competition after moving to England as a young man. He made the English International Olympic team in the mid-1980s. Instead of competing, though, Simon moved back to South Africa, where he joined the Air Force and did some modeling jobs. Then, in the early 1990s, he landed a role in the soap opera Egoli Palace of Gold. Uh, Simon eventually found his way to California, where he landed a role alongside Don Johnson in Nash Bridges, that boosted his profile, and by 2001, he was a recurring member of Stargate SG-1. As the system lord, Bale, he joined the series in Season 5 and remained a major part of the series throughout the rest of its 10-year run, making him the longest-serving villain in the franchise. He later reprised the role in 2008 for the film Stargate Continuum. Simon made guest appearances on TV series ranging from Days of Our Lives to NCIS to Castle and providing voice work for other, for video games like The Order 1886 and Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain. He was my favorite villain on Stargate SG-1. Uh, Ball was one of those that actually he brought some gravitas to the role as well as a sense of humor to the character. It's like, yes, he's a villain. Yes, he's essentially pure evil, but... He had a sense of humor, which you don't typically see in a villain role because a lot of actors will play them as just straight. Everything they do has a nefarious air about it. I actually uh, got to see him on stage at Comic-Con. I believe it was 2007. I was at the SG-1 panel where they were talking about Continuum. And he was super entertaining. He was one of those. He, he, he went through a lot of stuff in his youth. Was came out the other side was one of these like you know I'm uber positive about everything nothing's gonna get me down kind of personalities. He's just fantastically positive about everything on that panel. I actually saw him. So back when when we used to go to Comic Con, Todd and I used to go to this place called the Cheese Shop for for breakfast because Todd doesn't like breakfast food, and uh, cheese Cheese Shop serve like lunch all day as well as breakfast all day well till like two in the afternoon i think they shut down for good they they were only open for breakfast and lunch but we were sitting there eating and uh cliff simon actually walked in was like literally right next to me and i was looking at my food i looked up kind of did one of those double take things looked down looked back at it and and he saw that I recognized who he was, but that I wasn't going to, you know, say anything or make a big deal of it. Smiled, gave me a little wink, and then, uh, uh, you know, proceeded to to place his order. But uh, it was it was one of those kind of cute little moments with uh, running into somebody, and they know you know who they are, that, that you recognize them, and they're giving you that little, little wink of appreciation that you're not, like, bugging them because they're in the middle of trying to get some food there. So, right. But, uh, yeah. 
still like like my favorite character on Stargate SG One as far as the the system lords the the Goa'uld were concerned. And I believe we lost him in a kiteboarding accident. Yeah, really in, in California. Jesus, uh, he had a he had a love of uh, adventure sports. He's was drawn to the sea, according to his wife, who posted the uh, the the notice that he had passed away. Uh, and yeah, it was in California in a kiteboarding accident. That's how Yikes. he he got killed. That hasn't made it to his Wikipedia entry. He's still alive in Wikipedia. Well, well wow. she uh, <laughs> you know the know all end all yeah. of information. <laughs> but she said the only silver lining. I, I well, I, she put it differently, but was that he died doing something that he loved. So. Is that's the only thing that was alleviating her grief a little bit? Yeah, that's but right. He's a he's, system lords. Which one? He, uh, Ball. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and he's uh, he was a fan favorite too. Like would would take pictures with fans uh, without hesitation. If you ran into him in public, he was not one that would be like, "No, go away, leave me alone." He would actually invite you over and say, "Hey, come here. You know, let's get a picture together." Stuff like that. Uh, by all accounts uh, that I've read since his passing. So so remember, kids, YOLO, you only live once, so stop doing that dangerous shit. <laughs> or also, not. We, lo- we have to have our fail videos. <laughs> Do it for Andy's entertainment. Also, we lost Norton Jester, writer of beloved children's books like The Phantom Tollbooth and The Dot and the Line, A Romance in Lower Mathematics. Uh, he was 91 years old. Jester was not only a writer, but also an architect, an academic, and his modernist, fantastical children's writing reflected those interests with mathematics, science, and, well, lots of puns. Published by Random House in 1961 with illustrations by Jester's friend, Jules Pfeiffer, the Phantom Toll Booth finds a bored young Milo given a mysterious toll booth, which takes him to the faraway kingdom of wisdom. While there, Milo joins the cause of exiled princes Rhyme and Reason in their push to regain power for the kingdom. The book has sold upwards of four million copies since its release. Jester's other classic, The Dot and the Line, a romance in lower mathematics, which he illustrated himself, was first published by Random House in 1963. Both brainy and emotional, the book follows the romance between a red dot and a blue line, As a means of wooing the dot, the line learns to turn itself into an increasingly complex set of shapes. Uh, We also lost cinematographer Isidore Izzy Mankowski. He was uh, 89 years old. He got his start behind the lens in short films during the late 1960s and early 70s. He eventually pivoted to features. Among his first was the 1973 blaxploitation pick Scream Blackula Scream. Uh, Mm -hmm. But along with the Muppet movie and 1980s The Jazz Singer and Somewhere in Time, Mankowski's feature credits include Better Off Dead, Say Yes, Skin Deep, and most recently Too Loud, A Solitude in 2007. Hmm. So Isidore, Mankowski, Norton Juster, and Cliff Simon. We, We honor you here. Jonathan Lethem's sci-fi novel, As She Climbed Across the Table where a black hole and two humans are involved in an elaborate love triangle has gotten critical acclaim. So much so... (laughs) I had a feeling that... Two humans are involved in a love triangle? I had a feeling Andy was going to stop me with that one. Yeah. Um, Seriously? Yeah. That wasn't wasn't you reading two (laughs) sentences together? 
Correct. I, that wow. was me getting it right and sounding so wrong. Wow. Uh, Amazon has picked up an adaptation of the tale. Uh, Joe Penhall will write the script Who's for the adaptation. The, <laughs> uh, the next part will make so much sense. While Michael Gondry, uh, who did Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, is on board to direct. In addition to creating Mindhunter, Pendall is the playwright who wrote Blue Orange, as well as the movie adaptation of Cormac McCarthy's The Road. So, yes, the, the novel's called As She Climbed Across the Table. And, yes, a black hole and two humans involved in an elaborate love triangle. Hmm. See, there are original ideas out there, people. It's, it does happen. Wow. Uh, Mike Mignola is an artist who built a reputation on his distinctive style and then parlayed his fascination with folklore and monsters into a supernatural storytelling empire. Mignola is an artist whose name alone can sell a comic, and his gift for storytelling has been an inspiration to peers and creators who followed in his footsteps. Now, all of that will be chronicled in a new feature documentary called Mike Mignola Drawing Monsters. Directed by Emerald City Comic Con founder Jim Demonakis and Clockwork Girl film, filmmaker Kevin Hanna, the film will combine new interviews and drawing demonstrations with Mignola himself, with footage from comic conventions never seen before, interviews with Mignola's collaborators, friends, and admirers. Uh, those in the documentary include Adam Savage, Steven Universe creator Rebecca Sugar, Sandman creator Neil Gaiman, Hellboy collaborator Duncan Ferrego. Uh, comic creators Vida Alia and Joe Quesada, and Hellboy director Guillermo del Toro. Mike Mignola's Drawing Monsters is expected to be released by next year. Very excited. I'm also glad cool. when you started that with that glowing description of him, I expect you to say, he's now thrown that all away with a racist treat about <laughs> Barack Obama. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, thankfully, no, that's not how that ends. Yeah, that's good. I'm happy about that. I love his stuff. I mean, it could have easily gone that way, Andy, because it seems like everybody that I used to respect for their art or for their you know, entertainment now has gone the way of uh, being called out for their ridiculous things they say, either online or in public or on TV. It just, uh, I think you almost can't place, have heroes these days. I think the first place I saw his work was uh, his Faffer and the Grey Mouser. No, which was, actually, which was actually very nice. I think I was familiar with the characters by then, and uh, yeah, he just he just sort of captured the look of me. I captured the the feel of the characters on my head. So they're they're kind of they kind of look like the, his characters now in my head. Well, that's a sign of a fantastic artist right there. When you, yeah. wow, John Wick co-creator Derek Kolstad has his hands full. On top of writing for Marvel's upcoming The Falcon and the Winter Soldier at Disney Plus and developing a Dungeons and Dragons TV series, Kolstad is also joining forces with Amazon to develop a live action Helsing film. Quote, ever since my brother introduced me to the Helsing manga and anime some years ago, I've been obsessed with adapting it, he explained via the report. Continuing, and then when Mike Callahan and his team managed to secure the rights and then partner up with Brian Kavanaugh Jones and Amazon, I mean, damn, dude, this is a dream, unquote. Callahan is a producer on the upcoming movie, which will be based on the original Helsing manga series from writer and illustrator Hirano. The action horror manga first debuted in 1997 as a serial comic and enjoyed a lengthy run that lasted until 2008. 
English language issues and special compilations from the series were subsequently picked up by Dark Horse. In print, Helsing follows a reimagined version of the Dracula mythos. While placing female protagonist Integra Helsing, the great-granddaughter of Abraham Van Helsing, at the center of the action. Helsing's tale finds Dracula going by his backwards-reading Alucard identity, operating as a, quote, special agent bound to the Helsing organization, unquote. I've never read or watched any Helsing. Kay, that sounds like something you might have watched. Have you seen any? Uh, no. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I watched the. Yeah, no. Did that just never appeal to you or just had, never had the opportunity or? The initial imagery, yeah, never really appealed to me. So I, I, yeah, I just, you know, maybe I should. I don't know. John Wick co-creator, I mean. Yeah. yeah. There's some pedigree there. And you uh-huh. said he contributed to Falcon and Winter Soldier too, right? Yeah, he, he he's a writer for that show, and he's nice. also developing the D&D TV, TV series. So, okay. And that Falcon and Winter Soldier starts this Friday, I just realized. Oh, I'm yeah. really excited about that. Can't be can't be one division, but it's still something. You don't know that. Don't be prejudging the show. Well, that's a good point, but it can't be one uh, division. <laughs> you're, you're right. The bar is high. I have to admit, the bar is very, very high. Well, but they're going to um, be two very different shows, though. So true. Oh Jesus! What? They're not really competing with each other, Andy. I, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you I was do being, you? I'm using hyperbole for Andy. Andy, we can't tell when you're joking or not because we see all we see is a blurry image of the wall behind your tablet. Is that, is that true? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Am I back? Yes. All right. Nobody all answer right. yet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> also, also can months. I can I uh, call back to something, Andy? What was that Mignola Obama thing you said? Oh, uh, I was, I was, uh, I was uh, saying when he when he did that glowing description of him, I was afraid it was going to end with, but now his his reputation has been ruined by his racist Obama tweets. Oh, thank yeah. Christ! I heard you wrong because yeah. I just googled Mignola and Obama, and all I find is a Hellboy wearing an Obama <laughs> T-shirt sketch, and that, I was yeah. like, "What the fuck am I missing here? What happened?" There, okay. Andy, a, was, a, Andy was slandering a good man for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't tell. He was joking because I was looking at a blurry picture of his wall. Oh, okay. All right. Phew. Don't scare me like that. Helsing is on uh, Hulu right now. All right. So if you want to see the anime, that's where you see it. Yeah. Paul W.S. Anderson. Will adapt George R. R. Martin's 1982 short story in the Lost Lands into a feature film. The fantasy project has already cast Mila Jovovich, big surprise, and yeah, right. Dave Bautista. Described as a sprawling epic, the film story centers around a queen who, quote, desperate to fulfill her love, hires a powerful and feared sorceress known as Grey Alice, played by Jovovich, of course. Elise is sent to the titular Lost Lands with a drifter named Boyce, played by Batista, as her guide. Together, the two characters must fight off mortals and demons, quote, in this fable that explores the nature of good and evil, debt and fulfillment, love and loss. 
What's Jojovich playing? Uh, she's playing Gray Alice. The Is that Alice? It could be. It's oh. spelled A L Y S, so who knows where it goes? Okay. It's one of those Kaylin Colin things. Sure, sure. I, I would like to be excited about this, but it is a Paul W.S. Anderson joint, and I don't tend to get yeah. excited about those very often. Yeah. But hey, who knows? Maybe he'll surprise us. I mean, they just did release Monster Hunter to not very glowing reviews. <sighs> oh, yeah, I saw that was out there. Yep, even Monster Hunter fans didn't care for that by the look of things. I, I was done with the movie when I saw the first still of the dude running with the giant sword. It, it's, it's one of the tropes in Japanese fantasy that I, I just cannot grapple with. I just, I just can't do it. The, the physics of hauling around a sword that looks like it weighs about a thousand pounds and then swinging it around like deftly as a ninja. My brain just does not work like that. Mm. It's, 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 it's one of the, the things with Final Fantasy that kind of started breaking at my physics barriers. Wow, I'm looking at the pictures, and that's not even a really huge sword for anime stuff. No, but it's not one that he it's should be able to be on his... Yeah, that should be able to be holding it like that over his shoulder. Yeah. you ever see the 70s Three Musketeers? Yes. I don't, I don't believe I have, no. There's a sword fight at the end of that that is one of the more realistic sword fights I've seen in any movie because they're sword fighting for two or three minutes and they're exhausted because they're swinging a big heavy metal thing around over and over. They're just, yeah, just can barely lift their arms because they're heavy. I have the same feeling about Rob Roy. Rob Roy has the best sword fight I've ever seen in my life. And, and that's because it just looks so real with the endurance needed for the blades that were chosen. I'm assuming Claymore's, right? Rob Roy had a Claymore, and uh, uh, what's his name? Tim Roth had a small sword. It was a uh, juxtaposition of uh, different fighting styles. The, the, the Three Musketeers version you're, you're talking about, is that the one with Raquel Welch and Oliver Reed? Okay, And I think it's, actually the sword fight is in the Four Musketeers. I think it's the final fight it's, at the it's, end. Yeah, it's at the end of the movie. It's between uh, Christopher Lee and Michael York. Okay. And of course, Lee is uh, the world record holder for most sword fights on film. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. It's, for me, it's the definitive version of the, uh, of the movie. It Every time been, I see this remade it again, I'm like, eh, that's not as good. It's yeah, it's been remade so many times. I mean, and yeah. so far from the books, the the, the movie is uh, for all of its uh, comic elements is actually closer to the books than I think anything has been. Uh, has, anything else has been made. And I wanted to make sure I had the right version, Andy, because it was redone three times in the '70s alone. So yeah, was it really? Wow. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't even the first time on film. There's one with Gene Kelly that was before that. Yep, and then there are the ones after that. It's insane. Yeah, I watched one. Oh shit! It must have been with the. I watched the one that had Charlie Sheen in it, and uh, (laughs) recently. Oh no. That was embarrassingly bad. I mean, I couldn't even enjoy it as a bad movie. Wow. Oh, oh come on. Uh, what's his name? Is Porthos the pirate? He was quite entertaining. Okay. Well, you know what's his name? I'm I'm drawing a blank. Was it Oliver uh, Platt? Yeah. Yeah. And then 
And of course, you also had uh, Tim Curry was a Rush Richelieu, yeah. right? That's that's what yeah. I was just gonna say. Tim Curry in there, and you know, how can you go wrong with a Tim Curry film, Andy? When you're comparing him to Christopher Lee, <laughs> that's how you can do wrong. With it. <laughs> Actually, uh, in that case, uh, no, uh, Charlton Heston, who was very good was very good was one of charlton heston's better performances in his film career i don't know i liked keith keeper sutherland in that one too though uh, sutherland and oliver platt i thought were the the two that made that uh 93 film entertaining you no know, i think i think you have a point there jeff sheen was weird it was just him being weird in it uh oliver yeah. platt was probably my favorite part of that movie yeah hey, usually oliver platt is my favorite thing in any oliver platt movie yeah, and that's enough news. Let's do some red light, green light. Red light, green light. Such a fun game to play. Doesn't matter what you say. They're gonna make this shit anyway. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we all wait for Andy to say something. <laughs> I'm trying so hard to be good this week because I was so bad last week. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gentlemen, it's that time again. We got some pitches we got to go through. In fact, we got four this week, but you only get one green light. Ooh. So make it a good one. And one or more of these may be false. So your choices this week are cloak games, asterisks, Shadecraft and The Jaunt. Those are the shows, and here are the pitches. First up, we have Cloak Games. The 12 book urban fantasy series by Jonathan Moeller has been picked up by the Sci Fi Network. Here's the description from the book For over 300 years, the High Queen of the Elves has ruled over the conquered Earth. Nadia Moran isn't concerned about that, or with the scattered rebel forces that seek to overthrow the High Queen. Her only concern is getting her baby brother the treatment he needs to survive the magical disease he was infected with. In order to do so, she must obey the orders of the elven archmage Lord Marveland, who is one of the few mages powerful enough to keep her brother from dying. Using her skills as a thief and her own minor magical talents, she must complete the missions he assigns her or Marvelind will withhold the cure. Given how increasingly dangerous these missions are becoming, (sighs) Nadia won't live long enough to see her brother saved. Kimberly Boyd, who did Into the Badlands and the Shannara Chronicles, is attached as writer and showrunner. That is Cloak Games. Hmm. I don't know about that one, but continue. Oh, he'll Hopefully. allow you to continue. <laughs> oh, th- thank you. Um, <laughs> next up, Asterix, the satirical French comic book series about the last Gaulish village holding out against Roman rule is heading to Netflix. The streaming giant has partnered with the series publisher Hatchet Les Editions Albert René to create a, quote, animated limited series based on the property. Alan Chabat, a f- 
French filmmaker and playwright who previously landed a massive hit with the 2002 live-action adaptation Asterix and Obelix Mission Cleopatra will direct the series. Created by René Gossidy and artist Albert Uderzo in 1959, Asterix follows the adventure of the title character, a Gaulish warrior and his various friends and allies as they resist the rule of the bumbling Romans who have taken over the land around them in 50 BC. Though it's gone through various shifts in creative teams over the decades, Asterix remains one of the most popular French comics ever, translated into more than 100 languages around the world. Nearly 40 volumes of Asterix have been published to date, and the series has been adapted into several successful feature films, including both animated and live action. According to Bazet's announcement, the new animated series will adapt the volume Asterix and the Big Fight, which follows, quote, the Romans, after being constantly embarrassed by Asterix and his village cohorts, organize a brawl between rival Gaulish chiefs and try to fix the results by kidnapping a druid along with his much-needed magic potion, unquote. That is Asterix. Next up, Netflix has picked up the TV development rights to Joe Henderson's upcoming image comic series, Shadecraft. The pilot will be written by Henderson and Georgia Lee, uh, a writer for The Expanse and The 100. Uh, Lee Garbett, the artist on the comic version of Shadecraft, is also attached to produce. The comic series is set to focus on teenager Zaddy Lou, who already struggles with general fear and anxiety. But those issues get a whole lot more serious when the shadows in her small town literally come to life and start trying to kill her. Thankfully, she has a bit of help, as her own shadow seems to be on her side, so at least she's not completely alone while navigating the trauma of high school and killer smoke monster-style shadows lurking around. Henderson brings some pedigree to the product following his stint on the Netflix hit Lucifer, but he and Lee previously teamed up on the acclaimed series Skyward, which was nominated for a prestigious Eisner Award. That comic is currently in development for a film adaptation at Sony Pictures. The first issue of Shadecraft will hit stores this March, this month, on the 31st. So this is an upcoming comic. So this is Shadecraft. And finally, Fear the Walking Dead co-creator Dave Erickson is adapting a Stephen King short story titled The Jaunt into a TV series for MRC Television. Originally written for the Twilight Zone magazine in 1981, the jaunt tells the story of a future where teleportation technology has been developed, which the story derives its name from, as humankind starts jaunting around the solar system, slowly colonizing other planets. The story itself revolves around a man named Mark Oates, who is preparing his children for the trip from Schenectady, New York, to Mars by telling them about the history of how this form of travel came to be and how it can only be done while a person is unconscious as the process either kills people or drives them insane. Erickson will create and develop the show, which he will also serve as showrunner. So there you have it, my friends of Dunright Productions. You have to choose between Cloak Games, Asterix, Shadecraft, and The Jaunt. Uh, this time, let's start with Commander K. Where do you lay your green light? I don't know. I'm kind of liking a lot of the suggestions. I was, I was like, eh, 
on Shadecraft until you mentioned her own shadow seems to be on her side. And then for some reason, I was much more intrigued with the idea and kind of liked it. Cloak Games. Is it Games? G-A-M-E-S? It is. Okay. Cloak Games. Um, I kind of like the sound of that. I liked Asterix comics when I was a kid. Even the jaunt. Uh, golly. All right, let's go with Cloak Games. All right, that's a green for Cloak Games. Andy, where do you lay your green light? Can you tell me the, the last part of the jaunt about being unconscious? Yes. It can only be done while a person is unconscious, as the process will either kill people or drive them insane if they're not. If they're not unconscious. Okay, that's the part I missed with you, if they're not unconscious, yeah. Um, <laughs> It'll either kill you or make you insane. But you'll be right. on Mars! Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's better. I like all these, too. I, I want to see all of these. Um, I could watch six or seven series of Cloak Games. I like a good Steve story. Cloak Another games. green on Cloak Games? Jeff, where do you lay your green light? Ugh. I'm, I'm torn between the jaunt and uh, Shadowcraft. Because the, the first two didn't really didn't really do it for me. I think I think I want to go with Shadowcraft. All right. That's uh, Shadecraft, but uh, Shadowcraft Shade. works too. It's the whole idea, right? <laughs> Shadecraft. Jeff is inventing his own shows. <laughs> well, I mean, it was like Shadow, yeah, no. Shadow, Shadow. I guess sure, I just sure. had, no, we get had it. focused Absolutely. on that aspect. So Shadecraft. We get it. Okay, and that, Shadecraft. And that leaves Matt. Where do you put your green light? I'm going to put my green light on Asterix. I like the whole antiquities, Roman, Gaulish, Germanian, all of that. So I'm going there. All right. And that leaves Cloak Games as this week's green light winner. Asterix got one green. Shadecraft got one green. Uh, Stephen King's The Jaunt got zero. So uh, we're going with Cloak Games. So, gentlemen, do you have a guess as to which of these are fake? God, we'll, we'll go backwards. How about Matt? Where would you go first? I'm going to go with the jaunt. Yeah, I'm going to go with the jaunt. All right, Jeff. What do you think's fake? I, I, I also agree with Matt. I think it's the jaunt, and I think it's the Stephen King angle that made me think it might be the, uh, the, uh, the fake pitch. Andy? Um, if it's Shadecraft that's fake, that's, that's a brilliant writing, because the writing basically on a comic that's not out. Uh, I my gut says the jaunt, but but see, I don't see how you'd make that into a series. It could be more than one, so it could be both of them. Hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll say Shadecraft. I, right. I think it's. I think. I think it's probably. Well, I. I don't know. They all sound good to me. They all sound real to me. But I'm gonna go with Shadecraft just so I can say it. All right. And how about you, Kay? Where do you think the the fakies at? Shadecraft. For the first time ever, you are all wrong. Wow. And for the first time, not only all were you all wrong, but you also greenlit the fake one. Oh, <laughs> it is Cloak it. Games. Oh, that's too bad. I really wanted to see that one. Sent to us by Frank Alley. Thank you so much for sending us that pitches, bitches. And good Listen, job. I don't give a shit. Productions didn't greenlight that. That's right. You didn't. You're absolutely right. You didn't. Exactly. You, you were going so, for Shadecraft. The smart money sticks with me. 
So, uh, so good job, Frank. Uh, Cloak Games was a great suggestion, and yeah, that would be a good show. Uh, yeah, and that means that we're getting asterisks, we're getting Shadecraft, we are getting the jaunt. The jaunt really confuses me. It's a very, very specific story with a very specific ending, and it's a very small story. I'm not mean like it's a short story, sure, but I mean the focus is very small. I really cannot see how you could develop this into a TV series. It's an amazing story, and the ending is one of the most frightening that Stephen King has ever written, and it's a sci-fi story. And wow. the ending is absolutely terrifying. I love this story. Well, no, it could but... just be because uh, w- with all of these anymore, we don't know if they're like a multi-season series or if it's a limited series because I'm gonna tell there's you right so now, many even, of those. Even if it's a limited series, I don't see how you could do more than three episodes telling just that story. Okay. It's it's that when I say it's a small story, that's what I mean. It's very limited in, in focus. It's very limited in scope. There's not a lot of w- world building. It's a good portion of it is just telling the history of the guy and how he developed this jaunt technology. Okay. And it's really fascinating. It's good, and the ending is creepy as hell. But man, I do not know, and I'm fascinated to see how they're going to expand this out. And of course, Asterix. I mean, you could make shows on that for ages. Sure. My God, Matt, have you read those books? Any of those? I have books? not. I have not. Oh. No, but yeah, I think I'm going to because that really. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now on Amazon. <laughs> does sound does sound kind of interesting though. Yeah, um, the uh, the uh, uh, cloak games the the, thief, the the cloak game series is available. I mean, it does exist. I was afraid that it was made up completely. So. I mean, no, it is, those. yeah, it is based on an actual urban fantasy series. 12 books mm-hmm. in that series. Yeah, 40 bucks on Amazon right now for all 12 together. Uh, for uh, Kindle, excuse me. The, the only thing that makes me just halt for a second is I love fantasy, but urban fantasy tends to make me just kind of stop a little bit. Urban fantasy is it's, it's still a very popular genre, but... The only one I've enjoyed thus far is the Dresden Files, and I've only uh, really read one and a half of those. But most of the ones that I've read beyond that, I could kind of give or take thus far. Maybe I haven't selected the right things, and but let's just say that a lot of the ones that I've read tended to be more on urban fantasy romance. There, there's, there's a lot of sex with vampires and werewolves in urban fantasy. Yeah, um, well, a lot of people go, go so far as to just uh, had the paranormal romance as a, a separate genre, but uh, not that I'm against those things by all means. But that's been some of the almost the focus of some of the ones I've read. And yeah, they probably mm-hmm. ended up getting changed into the paranormal romance category. Looking back at them, in fact, I can't even name them at this point. It's been so long, right? And if you have a pitches bitches to send to us, write to us comments at uglycouchshow.com. Put pitches bitches in the subject heading. And uh, please let me know if you want me to edit your your words. If you say don't edit it, I will place it as it is. But if you don't put that, I will try to form what you've given me to match the other things that it will be going against. So I'll leave that up to you. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Fact-checked Andy. Maple Leaf Matt. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. 
So yeah, is the end of the jaunt just is it just a way to get rid of people you don't want by telling them they're teleporting to another planet? Uh, I'm not going to give away the ending of the jaunt. <laughs> yeah, please don't, because now I kind of want to read it. <laughs> but but uh, it's not that. <laughs> At least, but no, you know, find the jaunt. It's a short read. It's a great read. It's in the the uh, uh, night shift anthology of Stephen King's. Find it. It's oh great. shit! I, I had that. I must not have read that. That's weird. I would have thought I read the whole book. The, I'm, the, starting, uh, to, I'm night, starting to second night, guess myself. Now it might be might be in Skeleton Crew, but I think I'm pretty sure it's in uh-oh. Night Shift. Uh oh, is a uh, night shift the night one shift. that has the Mangler and stuff like that, right? Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe that's in Night Shift as well. Yeah, we used to read that and scare the shit out of it. We used to sit in our apartment. Skeleton Crew. It isn't Skeleton Crew. Thank you. See what happens when you wait until uh, afterward to go on uh, Google to check these things out? (laughs) So I I guess there won't be some sweet sounds going down on the night shift for you there, Todd. There Mm. will be because you're bringing it, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I came very close to looking up Asterix during the uh, thing. I stopped myself. I was like, oh, well, there's an Asterix movie? Oh, wait, no, no. Playing the game. Can't do that. <laughs> Thank you. Good man. Mm-hmm. Following, the, <laughs> following the Jeff rule. I appreciate that. <laughs> the Jeff rule. Wow. <laughs> Got a rule named after him. That's great. <laughs> well, as opposed to all the Andy rules. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the book I'm writing. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So but we, if he's you not don't here. want us to stop what we're doing because I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to? Or at least the flow. In fact, there was more flow that I'm used to from you, Jeff, so I appreciate yeah. it. We'll likely do no, uh, we will likely do red light, green light, so no looking at the internet during red light, green light. We don't have to tell, oh, sorry, yeah, Jeff's here. <laughs> Shut up. Oh, Henry Darrow died again today, or <laughs> died today. <laughs> again. He died again? So uh, what was your uh, your WoW character's name, so we can put a, a gravestone up for him? Really? That's where that a, joke went, Andy. Down the a, toilet. A gift from Commander K. Right. Maybe he is funnier. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tried and true married with children joke right there, okay? You just flush the toilet. Although, but I know Jeff's going to know. What was the first TV show to hear have the flushing toilet sound? All in a um, family. Give that man a cookie. Kirsten, you, you win a cookie from Andy. You don't I want don't that cookie. I would want Andy's cookies. Everybody loves my cookies. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and turn to those notes and, uh, and what tell us what you did. What, what the hell is Kay doing? Kay is <laughs> fixing some food. He showed a, a dirty fork a second ago. I, I don't know. He's either yeah. eating or feeding Kit, one of the two. Feeding Kit. Kit is going psycho. He's jumped on me twice. He's running around. He's got a crazed look on his face. He's just like <laughs> being this this satanic little beast. So I'm like giving him food. And I had it on mute because if I move around, it ruins the show. If I stand still, it ruins the show. If I drink something, it ruins the show. <laughs> if you talk, it ruins the show. Yeah. Wow. So <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a lot of bitterness to unpack there, okay? Yeah, he's lashing out at you, Todd, and how you you run this show with an iron fist. Like that's all right. I'll edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> I almost did a spit take as your what cover band. 
Madonna. Oh, I almost did a spit. <laughs> wow. No, she, she swallows. Um, oh, boy. Cut that out, Todd. <laughs> oh, no, that's perfect. That's the funniest Andy's been all month. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, you, you, did, you, you didn't finish the cover band oh, line oh, there, God damn it. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, the way... The way Paul and Storm do these, they 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 don't force them on each other. They just when the weird sound, when a weird phrase comes up, they jump on them. So I'm playing All this right. the, the extra oh, hard version. Yeah, Jeff, I, Jeff, no, don't insult fine. Andy. He doesn't force the humor. He doesn't force <laughs> jokes. Never. They're very oh. organic, and they just grow to fit the situation. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, hey Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. I what? got that wrong. Madonna what? snowballs. Uh, We're not recording. You can relax. Put the funny away. Uh, that'd actually be a fun party. That'd be fun to, to do it all thief party. To do a Fuffer and the Grey Mouse or thing. And then a bard would show up. Just because. Somebody rang. Somebody called. Be, be very quiet. We're sneaking into the castle. Oh, we shall sneak into the castle like <laughs> manly men. That would be the way. Uh, my song of silence so that we may get advantage on <laughs> stealth. If this is the old Geek Shock, that would be what would open up the, that would be the, the opening music. <laughs> you mean this thing that wasn't in the show? Sure. Right. <laughs> and Jeff, for... Fried food. Did you see that belly when you walked by? The camera there? You can't hear us. <laughs> wow, Matt. Okay, I'm back. Sorry about that. Perfect. We welcome saw. To this, <laughs> welcome to the Shade Show. Geek Nothing shade. nice happening here. Eddie was trying to be funny, that's all. Yeah. When... Oh, so the usual. How? Oh, you're... Jeff's yeah. joining right in. Yeah, that's Jeez. the show, Jeff, right there. <laughs> Fuck y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Am I turned off? Oh, yes, your turn. What was that, Andy? What was that, Andy? Am I turned off? I can't hear you. I'm not, uh, your mouth is moving, but I'm not hearing anything. Seriously? I can hear him just fine. <laughs> damn it, Jeff. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the joke was beginning to grate. Oh. I just began it. It just started. Getting up, sitting down, getting up, sitting down, adjusting stuff. You didn't need to see all that. That's, that's a weird reason to turn off your camera. Okay. Are you pantsless? No. He said cautiously. Uh, yeah, the, the the neighbors are too close to me to do anything that crazy. I've, I've built a uh, I've built a wigwam in the backyard. This is crazy as I can get out there. Just for funsies? Yeah, I was just uh, wanted to see if I could do it. I could. I love the way your brain works, sir. <laughs> Yeah, actually, there, there's uh, the next town over. There's a section of town called Hazardville because that's where <laughs> they made the gunpowder. It's not because ha- the gunpowder is dangerous. It's because the guy that owned the gunpowder company was named Colonel Hazard. No, no. The town used to be called Happyville, but then Andy walked through. Now they call it <laughs> Hazard Town. <laughs> I see Jeff is playing around with his, uh, his backgrounds there, giving us some Star Trek The Experience mm-hmm. quirk bar. Just to remind us that he is Darren's friend. Right. <laughs> God damn it. And I'm getting Mitch McConnell flashbacks here. It's just, you know, neck. Wow. <laughs> McConnell doesn't have a neck, Andy. Well.
No, he doesn't have a chin. His whole head is <laughs> Okay, that, that is frightening me. All right, yeah. Very good. I'm just doing an impression of uh, Steve uh, Biggs' impression of uh, Mitch McConnell. <laughs> <laughs> just steal from the greats. That's what I say. <laughs> I used to go to punk concerts you know, back in my youth. I, I saw Black Flag at a roller skating rink in, in the next town over. I got stuck in a mosh pit. So did Anthrax. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got, I got pinned against the uh, stage by the mosh pit. And I'm yeah. staring crotchy. I'm staring directly in the, you know, yeah, his, uh, his, cr- his silk covered shorts, his crotch is, you know. Banged against your face? face. Oh. Yes. Basically, I'm getting, bang- I'm getting banged by his dick. <laughs> I can't get up. <laughs> Only Andy. <laughs> Only Andy. Stuck in a mosh pit, banged by a dick. We've already yeah. got an episode yeah. title. This is amazing. Right. <laughs> I also got I got kicked in the chest today. by the bass player of uh, I got kicked in the chest by the bass player of uh, the Dead Milkman. <laughs> oh shit! I'm remembering all these stories you told. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's an honor, and I need to do mo- no more. Yeah. I need to do no more. Yeah, no, I was I was uh, uh, I was stage diving, and I'm a short fella, so I couldn't get over the crowd. I would I would jump up and the crowd would push me up before I could get off, and so the, I'm like stuck. Wait wait on wait, wait, wait 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 wait. Well, so you're on stage already, or you can't get on the stage at all? I on the stage and I can't okay. jump off because every time I jump off, the crowd pushes me back before I can get over them. How short is this? <laughs> how short is this stage? It's a it's a you know it's a little club in Boston. It was you know it's it's probably the the ceiling probably only 12, ten or twelve feet tall. So so you're you're going to jump on this crowd, but Shaquille O'Neal is up front and just holding right. you up against yeah, no. the right. The bass player's playing, he's staring at me, and finally he just puts his boot in my chest and kicks, and I went straight back into the crowd. I'm like, thanks, buddy, thanks for the save. I, I love that you were rejected by a dead milkman crowd. No, 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 he wasn't. That wasn't rejection. They were just having fun keeping me on the stage because I knew I couldn't get off. <laughs> Kudos to the bass player for saving me by kicking me in the chest. <laughs> I think that was the same show where before the show started, I threw a copy of the Weekly World News on the stage, and uh, the guy picked it up and said something made made up some sort of weird Weekly World News uh, headline that wasn't on the map paper. I'm just jealous you're getting to see the dead milkman three times. Right? Damn. Twice now, once in Philadelphia and twice in uh, New England, probably Connecticut both times. But I saw I saw them in Philly when they really were just getting big. When uh, when uh, Punk Rock Girl was on, and their big the big song they were singing was uh, "Big Lizard in My Backyard." Can't afford to feed it anymore. You can see the way it shits. Got this lizard for a dollar fifty. That's pretty neat. That's fucking nifty. Damn, they're they're so much fun. Yep. Actually, the uh, one I didn't hear until I don't think I heard this one until after I had not seen them anymore. But uh, Stuart, I love I love the song uh, that cracks me up. I like you, Stuart. You're not like the other people here in the trailer park. Uh, in fact, uh, I really think about that song every time I'm working at State Fair. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's the whole song. <laughs> I'm looking at everybody going, "Oh, there's Stuart." Yeah. <laughs> Stuart. Apparently yeah. they just uh, they just released the uh, Alfred Hitchcock's classics collection on 4K Blu-ray now. Uh, okay. Well, because I I've had it for several years, but 
I didn't think they were ever going to release it on anything but Blu-ray. Now they put it on 4K, so got to buy it again because Rear Window, Vertigo, Psycho, and the Birds in 4K. It's Alfred Hitchcock. How 4K can it get? Dude, you it's pretty it's pretty impressive the difference between 1080p and 4K when they go back and scan the original negatives. As somebody who who collects discs, I I don't think that's something that I would really upgrade to. Uh it might yeah, be something that I that I'd be interested in watching once, uh but I think it's something I would get on Netflix for per se, but I don't think I would get it like to to own it if I already had it on Blu-ray. Unless well, there was like all these new features that were included, and that's that's the deal breaker. But I I am a Hitchcock fan though, so sure, you know, it's, it's almost a moral imperative. I'm just waiting for them to finally release a decent version of Real Genius. I know, on right? A, on anything, I have it the, here on uh, DVD. Yeah, but it's a sucky version. Yeah, and then they put out like a a really crappy. Uh, I think it might have been an upscaled Blu-ray version of Real Genius. Yeah, because it didn't feel like it was a full 1080p. It just it looked god awful and nothing on it. It was a completely bare bones edition. Yeah, dude, it, I it, can't uh, even find a widescreen version of uh, Extreme Prejudice. It's mm-hmm. a Nick Nolte, Powers Booth movie, and they have nothing. They just I actually uh, bought. I I was a fool and I bought it on Amazon Prime Video, streaming video. It's like the, 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 the one thing I own on streaming video on Amazon Prime. And the thing is fucking pen and scan and standard definition. I was just like outraged. It was just so sucky. Oh, it's amazing. I think what bothers me the most, Todd, about the whole real genius thing is they have a good 1080p version of it because I caught it on stars one night and it was like the, the picture was crisp and I'm sitting here going, why is the Blu-ray worse than this? It makes no sense. They should at least be on par visually to each other, even though the, there's no extras on that Blu-ray. So I, I just, I don't, I have no idea, but you know, just, you're getting crap. If yeah. just by looking at the cover art, it is just the ghost, god awful, gross. Just a big fat face of Val Kilmer with a lot of orange behind him, and it's yeah. just the grossest, cheapest throw together that you know. If they'd put that much energy into a cover, they put that much energy into disc production. Mm-hmm. Shout yep. Factory, get on that! Yeah. Right? Oh my God! Shout Factory would put together an amazing edition. I just know they would. Because there is a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff from Real Genius. I remember seeing some of it, like on, uh, uh, I think it was Entertainment Tonight way back in the day. So there, there was stuff shot, da, da, and of da, course, da, da, da. doing like modern interviews would be cool. You know, you know, recollections on the 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 forty years nearly that it's been since that movie came out. Well, I can't wait to see Chunky Val Kilmer on camera. Well, he's he doesn't have much of a voice right now because of the the uh, cancer. Yeah, Andy, the chunk. Ah, the that cancer. one. Way to yeah. go, Andy! Wow, 